Hey there, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am so glad you're joining me on this show here on the Bible and Life. We like to give what I call blue jeans theology. That is theology for everyday life. It's Bible that's rooted in and connected to where we live every day in everyday language. So thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family, and thanks for checking out this episode if you're new. And before we jump into this week's episode, let me just say thank you to Bryce, to Nathan and Sarah, and to Brandy, who in the last week became donors and supporters to this ministry and to this podcast. Thanks a ton to you, and thanks to all of the supporters who make this podcast and make the Bible and Life ministry possible. I couldn't do it without each and every one of you, so thanks a ton. All right, let's jump into this week's episode the church where I was preaching, I decided to do something a little bit different. We were going to be starting a series through the book of Philippians, and rather than do the normal sort of introductory thing I'd done in the past, I just decided to read through the entire letter of Philippians to the church. I set it up with a map and kind of a little bit of the backstory, and then encouraged the congregation to just sit there and imagine that they were the church at Philippi who was first receiving this letter from the Apostle Paul. And then I read through all four chapters of the, the letter. And I, I tried to do it super well, super engaging, so it wasn't boring. And actually, there was like a teenage gal in the front row when I mentioned that I was going to uh, read the whole letter. She slumped in her seat and rolled her eyes and sagged in her chair. But partway through the reading, she actually had sat up, she was leaning forward, and she was engaged. So I knew at least I was uh, somewhat engaging as I did this. And so I worked through the whole letter, read the whole thing, and that was the sermon for the day. Well, after the service was over, a visitor to church that day who actually ended up sticking around, becoming a member of the congregation, became a friend of mine. His name was Ben. He um, was in service for the very first time that Sunday when I read this the, the letter to the Philippians like this. And after service, I went up and said hi to him since he was a guest and we were visiting a little bit. And uh, he said, you know, I had never really thought of those things as letters. He had some church background, it turned out. He'd grown up going to church. He was familiar with the Bible. He actually experienced some good Bible teaching. But it just had never hit him that Philippians or some of the other books of the New Testament were actually letters written to real people from a real set of circumstances. And yet that's exactly what a lot of the New Testament books are. In fact, 21 out of the 27 New Testament books are letters written to nurture the faith of early Christian communities, early churches, right? And so when we read those those letters of the New Testament, 21 of the uh, 27 New Testament books, when we read them, in a very real sense, we're reading someone else's mail. Just think about that. When you're opening up your Bible to Philippians or to Ephesians or to Colossians or to James or any one of those New Testament letters, you're actually reading someone else's mail. You're reading the apostles' mail that they sent to somebody else. Kind of weird to think about it that way, but that's what's going on. And so if we're going to engage with those things well and understand them the way we're supposed to understand them, we need to make sure we think clearly about them. And so what I want to do in this episode is I just want to step back and kind of at a big level, I want to think about like, why letters? And how do the New Testament letters relate to the teaching and the ministry and the work of Jesus? And the reason I want to do that is I, I want to do that so that hopefully as a result of this, you can read 
the New Testament, really, since so much of it are our letters, you can read those New Testament letters more faithfully as a follower of Jesus. Okay, so that's our goal. That's what we're pursuing here in this episode. And just to really kind of set that into its overall framework, when you think about the Bible, obviously it's packaged together as one book, right? It's got a front cover, a back cover, a bunch of pages in between. It's even got a table of contents. And boom, there it is. It looks like a book. But in reality, your Bible is actually a library of books. It's not a single book. It's a library of books. In the English configuration of those books, there are 66 different books. The reason I say in the English configuration is because in the Hebrew configuration of the Old Testament, there's fewer books. There are books that are multiple books in English that aren't in there. It's Ezra and Nehemiah are one book, 1st, 2nd Samuel, one book, things like that. So in the English configuration, there are 66 books in the Bible, and thus it's a library of books written by a variety of different authors living at different times in different places, all writing really about God's plan to redeem and restore the world and God's promise to Abraham and how God's moving all of that forward. And so it is not just one book, it's a library of books. And what that means is, like all libraries, you have different kinds of books. You might have history books, you might have manuals, you might have fiction books, you might have biographies. You have all these different kinds of books in a library. Depending on what you want to read, you go get that particular book. Well, the same is true with the Bible. You actually have different kinds of books. And so you've got a collection of poetry, i.e. psalms. You've got some law books, uh, like the ancient Old Testament law codes given to Israel. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? You have those. You have some history books, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, Acts in the New Testament. You have some biographies, such as Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, biographies about Jesus. We call them the Gospels. So you have different kinds of books. And one of those kinds of books are letters, New Testament letters. Um, and that's really important because we need to think clearly about what letters are, how they work, so that we can read them well. Letters were a very common way of actually communicating during the, the first century, during the Roman Empire, when the New Testament was written. So just for fun, I actually have a sample little letter, just a general letter from the ancient world. This is dated to the reign of Augustus, Caesar Augustus of Luke chapter 2. Don't know exactly where it was from. We don't know where the audience was, but we at least have an approximate date. Let me just read you a, a, a little piece of it, just so you can hear it, because New Testament letters really follow the conventions of their day. Slightly modified. So here's here's this letter. It says this, Heraclus to Horus and Tacanus, greetings and good health. Don't worry about us. Since we've been on military duty, we have been sailing in the boat for eight days. With the gods' will, in three days we shall be on shipboard. And then it goes on and has you know, some specific instructions and things that they want. Keep an eye on our child, um, as you would an oil lamp and various things like that, and has some instructions, and the letter goes on. Letters were quite common during the days of the Roman Empire. They've obviously been around for a long time. The Roman Empire made trade and travel more possible because of the road system they built and some of that. And so letters began to kind of proliferate. Well, the New Testament writers, the apostles, took advantage of all of that and used letters as a way of communicating to these new churches that they were planning all around the Mediterranean world. 
And the thing about letters is every single letter has a backstory. Um, there is some relationship between the author of the letter and the recipients of the letter. Maybe there's some set of circumstances that motivated the writing. In the case of the sample I just read, you have um, the author being sailing on shipboard. He's on military duty. He's writing to some people who are presumably maybe taking care of his family or maybe they're servants in his house. Not really sure. Right? There's some sort of relationship there. There's something going on that motivated the writing of the letter. That's the backstory. Same is true with the New Testament letters. There's a backstory. There's a relationship between Peter and all the churches he writes to in 1 Peter, between uh, John and the churches he writes to in 1 John, between Paul and the Colossians or Paul and the Philippians. There's a backstory, a relationship, a history. There's maybe a set of circumstances that all of a sudden motivated him to pick up the pen and write this letter at this particular point in time. So that backstory informs what's going on. And as we read the letter, we can kind of figure out some of that backstory. Like when you're sitting in a room and your spouse or your friend gets a phone call and you're listening into the phone call and you're trying to figure out who's on the other side of that conversation. Who is he uh, writing to or talking to? Or if it's a text conversation, who is he texting with? And just knowing who the person is helps inform some things about the nature of the relationship, the nature of the conversations and, and all that. Or you can tell by tone of voice if, oh, wow, something uh, maybe surprising or shocking or worrisome has happened, right? There's that backstory, that relationship. And that's what's going on with the New Testament letters. Not only that, much like that situation where you're listening to one side of the phone conversation, trying to figure it out, when you read the New Testament letters, we only have one side of the conversation, right? Like we have Paul's side of the conversation. We have Peter or John or James's side of the conversation. We don't have the other side of the conversation. Sometimes we're given glimpses into the other side of the conversation. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, and then he seems to be answering questions. And as you read through the rest of 1 Corinthians, you'll see that phrase show up, now concerning about, right? And that seems to be, oh, a new topic, new question that they ask. So they had written him a letter, and he's answering some of their questions. Okay, that helps. We get a little bit of the other side of the conversation. But we don't really know exactly all that they're thinking. And so sometimes that poses a challenge for our understanding of those letters. Um, for example, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is actually talking about the quote-unquote man of lawlessness. There has been so much written about what, what is this about? Who does it refer to? And what is Paul talking about? And just so many different opinions about how to understand the man of lawlessness. Ironically, right in the middle of his, Paul's discussion of the man of lawlessness, Paul says this, Don't you remember that when I was with you, I was telling you about these things? And our response to that is, well, no, Paul, because we weren't there and we weren't with you, so we have nothing to remember here. And that's probably why we struggle to understand what he's saying and why scholars have so many different opinions about it is because he's jogging their memory and we don't have a memory to be jogged. We weren't there. And so it would, we can't totally fill in all the gaps because we don't have the information to do that. And that just makes it challenging. There's plenty of other places in the letters where that's just the case, where we only have one side of the conversation. The author alludes to things that the original audience knew about, understood exactly what was going on, and we don't. So we scratch our head and we're kind of left to do our best guess. Um, but that's just the way it works. So we just have to accept that. We have to be humble about that, accept that, be okay with that. Not only that, not only do they have a backstory, and not only do we have one side of the conversation, 
But the New Testament letters were written originally to offer guidance to churches, to like new Christians, new churches. Um, and because of that, it's a mistake to think of them as like just pure theology. Oh, when you read this, it's just like pure theology. They're never pure theology. Romans sometimes is talked about as being the most systematic of Paul's letters. All well and good, but it still has a backstory, still written to, uh, written to a real audience, still addressing real issues within that audience, and there's a real relationship there. So it's never quite pure theology. It's more like theology in life, like really what this podcast is about, Bible in life. That's what uh, those New Testament letters are. They're, they're written to a to real people living in real places, trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in their time, sometimes um, with a lot of bad ideas. And the author, Paul, Peter, James, John, are writing to kind of clarify some things or to point out some things or just to help them learn how to follow Jesus. And that's important for us to understand that it's not as if the the Gospels really record the true words and teaching of Jesus, and the letters are like an addition to that. No, they're helping us actually follow Jesus. Jesus says in various places in the Gospels, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Or in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. These are calls to discipleship. Take up your cross and follow me. Or Jesus says in uh, John chapter 8, um, that if my words abide in you, then you'll truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That part of being a disciple of Jesus is for his words to abide in us. And notice that, that word abide, that doesn't refer to like stopping by as a you know occasional guest or visitor. It doesn't refer to, uh, you know, just kind of uh, popping in here and there or an occasional you know, text message where the relationship is pretty slim. Abide means to dwell with, to live with. If my words live in you, dwell with you, if they abide in you, then you will really be my disciples. And at that point, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, the letters are actually the apostles' way of helping Jesus' teaching his message, his words, abide in the new disciples that they have formed in various places around the Mediterranean world, right? And so there are ways of helping those new followers of Jesus live the way Jesus wants them to live. Their theology and life, their, what I like to call, their applied Jesus. And so we shouldn't put like, oh, the Gospels are the true teaching of Jesus and the letters are like these, you know, kind of additional things thrown out there. No, they're applied Jesus. Um, as the message of Jesus left the Jewish world where it began, right? It began in Israel among the Jews, um, you know, and oftentimes in Jewish villages and all that, as it left the, the Jewish world and it began to move out into the cities of the Greco-Roman world, it encountered new realities and new ideas, which meant there were new questions that needed to be answered, or even old questions that new believers needed to get clear on. And so the apostles write to address those things, like, what does it look like to be faithful to the Messiah when my spouse isn't a believer? Peter takes that up in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Paul takes that up in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's like, well, what if my spouse doesn't want to live with somebody who's now a believer in Jesus? And so he's wrestling with this question, this new reality that hadn't been a reality when Jesus taught in the Gospels, but it is now because of the new situation. Or how, how do non-Jews 
live together and fit in with Jews and with the Jewish history and with the promise to Abraham. Oh, how does that work? And we can't minimize the tension there between those two cultural realities and all the socio-cultural and religious and even racial tensions that that created. How does that play out now in the kingdom of Jesus? Or what does the cross and the resurrection mean for all the spiritual powers that were so prevalent, particularly in places like Ephesus and Colossae and Asia Minor, and where people lived in fear of those powers and had all sorts of incantations and rituals to try to manipulate and control those powers for their own security and safety. How do we blend Jesus, or can we blend Jesus with some of our other religious practices, or what does that mean? Or how do the rich and the poor relate to one another? Or how does following Jesus change my family and home life and the way I relate to my kids and the way I relate to my spouse? Or what about class and race relations? And how does that play out in Jesus' kingdom? Right? Like it, when we read the letters, we're talking applied Jesus. So make sure when you read the letters, you think of that way. What would it look like to have Jesus' words abide in me? And the letters are helping us think through how to apply the message and ministry and work of Jesus and the victory and accomplishment of Jesus to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, how we're, how we're supposed to apply all of that and live that out in these new realities. And so the New Testament letters are not an addition to Jesus. Um, they are an extension of Jesus. They're an application of the message and the work of Jesus into new situations. Jesus marching orders to his apostles and then by extension to us as followers today is to go into all the world and make disciples people who abide in his word those are the ones who are really disciples he said so go into all the world and make disciples and then he says teaching them to obey everything i commanded so so as we make disciples we teach them to obey jesus commands and the letters the new testament letters are the apostles' way, at least one of the way, that they continue to teach those new disciples how to obey Jesus. That's what they're doing. Uh, they're making disciples and teaching them to obey. So being a disciple doesn't so much mean that I become proficient at certain religious activities, although that's included, praying, church attendance, Bible study, right? certain religious activities. That's included, and you see that even in the letters. Pray without ceasing. Be devoted to prayer, keeping alert. These are words of Paul, because praying is important for God's people. But it goes beyond that to say, no, it's not just that, that I become good at religious rituals and religious activities. It means I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life as if he, he, as he would live it if he were me. So if Jesus were uh, in my circumstance, living with my family, in my city, with my culture and my community, how would Jesus live my life. And the New Testament letters are helping new believers and disciples think that through. Uh, so think about your social life. How would Jesus interact with your friends? How would Jesus interact with your next door neighbors? How would uh, Jesus interact with the, the people at the bank or the store? How would he think about them? How would he feel about them? How would he talk to them? How, what would his perspective be on the people in his social world if he lived where you live and interacted with the people you interact with? Or think about your job. How would Jesus perform the tasks of your job? 
How would he conduct himself? How would he relate to his boss? And how would he relate to those that he supervises? And how would he relate to his co-workers? And in what way would he do his job? Well, the New Testament letters have some instruction about that. Or parenting. How would Jesus raise your kids? How would he discipline your kids? How would he view your kids? How would he feel about your kids? How would he interact with your kids? How would he use his time and relationship to your kids? How would he talk to them? Right? Like parenting. How would Jesus do that if he were you? Marriage, school, um, so many facets of life that as disciples, now we need to figure out because being a disciple doesn't just mean you're good at religious activities. It means you're learning to live your whole life as if as Jesus would live it if he were you. Um, and so I don't know whether this is a real word or not, but the word I like to use when I think about what the New Testament letters are doing for disciples of Jesus in places like Ephesus or Philippi or Colossae or um, modern-day Turkey where First Peter is written to or wherever, what I like to, the word I think of is re-socializing. Re socializing like it's taking um people who grew up with different ideas about life different ideas about what it means to be human different ideas about what's important different agendas different ambitions and it's taking them now they're part of a new new family and a new community the family of jesus the kingdom of god in christ and so now they've got to learn how to live within that kingdom. And so they've got to be re-socialized. What does it look like to, to now that you're part of this family, what are the values of this family? What are the agendas of this family? What are the outcomes we're after this? How does this family relate to one another? How does this family care about those who are not part of the family? And how do we relate to one another, even though we came from different backgrounds and we're of different races and different cultures and we had different moral upbringings and you came from a really upmoral bringing and I came from a really immoral upbringing, but now we're part of the same family. And so we've got to be re socialized to learn how to live together as the the people of God and so class social status race sexual ethics like in the greco-roman world into which these letters were written man it was sort of a a sexual free for all in so many circles and and now you're part of Jesus's kingdom and some of that has to go by the wayside and in our world man we have some of the same issues where there's at least in certain certain countries of our world where it's sort of a sexual free-for-all and, and now we have to deal with that and we have the internet that makes that more complicated so how do we live that out and so here's the values here's the goals here's the standard now that you're part of this family live this way and they are the letters are re-socializing so here would be my encouragement to you as disciples of Jesus my encouragement to you would be to read and apply the letters. Don't just read them. Read and apply. Hear and heed them. That's our basic response to the Word of God is to hear it and to heed it. Hear what it says. Make sure we understand it accurately. What is he really saying? What does he mean by that? Ask all the questions to make sure we hear it and understand it. And then heed it. Um, put it into practice. These teachings uh, of the apostles in these letters were meant to pass on the wisdom of Jesus so that we could actually live the way Jesus wants us to. And if we have faith in Jesus, that means we believe he's right. We believe he knows what he's talking about, that he really is wise. He knows the best way to do life. 
we want to listen to him, and then we just want to put his wisdom into practice to the best of our ability with the help of the Spirit. And so hear and heed these things as we learn the way of Jesus. You know, we're and we're, we're distracted in the modern age by so many things, right? Like, it's just so easy for us to pick up our phone and scroll through our social media feed, check the weather, check the news. Uh, we have a spare moment where we could just be quiet or whatever. We're scrolling. We get up in the morning and we just kind of scroll through our social media. It's the first thing we do. And what if we actually just sat with Jesus and listened to his teaching to us and we listen to his official representatives, the apostles, and we just let that wash over us. And then we took some of those things seriously to heart and began to prayerfully imagine what it would look like to actually live that out in our context. That's the way those letters are supposed to function. Um, and and what, would hap what happens is we're just so distracted by so many things is that we'd almost rather grab like a quick little... Jesus snack, if you will, like a quick little devotion, a little Christian meme, ooh, a quick little snippet. Ooh, that was a cool thought that came through my Instagram feed. Isn't that awesome? And we'd rather just get this quick little Jesus snack rather than actually carve out some time, slow down, and actually sit with Jesus as his disciple, right? Be with Jesus, learn from Jesus, follow Jesus, sit with Jesus prayerfully, thinking how our life would look if we took the teaching of Jesus in those letters seriously. And some of what's taught there applies directly to us, like straight across. Cease lying to one another and speak the truth to one another. Applies pretty much straight across. Doesn't radically change. Um, or um, some of it speaks to situations they didn't experience, like Flee sexual immorality. Well, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have internet pornography. So, okay, that that uh, that instruction is going to take on slightly different implications and applications because it's speaking into our world and something they didn't experience. And so now we need to think through what that might look like at a general level. Flee immorality applies to that. So how do we live that out? What would that look like in my set of circumstances? Or... Um, some of it speaks to situations that we don't experience. Classic examples, meat offered to idols in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. Like we rarely, at least in America or London, right, or Australia or, right, like in a lot of Western cultures, we just don't experience. We don't go to the grocery store and wonder if this this chunk of beef was offered to Asclepius or uh, Zeus or some other you know, idol. We, but that's not an issue that we experience. And yet, that doesn't mean it doesn't have anything to say to us. So we need to step back and say, well, what is the wisdom of Jesus that this, here's a specific application of a broader truth or principle. What is the broader truth or principle? And how does that speak then into my situation, my life that might be helpful to me? Like, are there, are there things where it's like, okay, in and of itself, it is not wrong, but for somebody who really grew up in a certain situation, man, it could be a stumbling block, something that could really be destructive to their life and their life of faith. So then how do I live that out in that circumstance? And so we just let the wisdom of Jesus wash over us and fill our heart and mind until it just leaks out of us. And in doing so, then we become wise.
and we have discernment and insight, and we can follow Jesus better in our specific situations. That's the way the letters are supposed to work. And so that's my encouragement to you is to carve out time in your life to sit with Jesus, reading the wisdom of Jesus given to his apostles and figure out, well, they're trying to apply the message of Jesus to new situations and new circumstances. Let me do the same thing in my circumstance, my situation. What would it look like to live this out here? Not only that, here's another thing I would encourage you to do with the letters is this, is uh, the New Testament letters were the original discipleship materials of the church. They were the original discipleship materials. We so often are, are on a quest to find this discipleship curriculum and that discipleship technique and this discipleship strategy. What if we just took the original discipleship materials of the church and used them? We know that one of the greatest needs of a new or young believer is to read scripture and read it with understanding and read it prayerfully. And another great need is to be in relationship with somebody who's a little bit more mature as a disciple, a little further down the discipleship path. So what if we just did that? If we're, if we're a step or two down the discipleship path and we've got somebody who's a newer believer, or maybe they've only been a believer for a short time and they're growing, but they need some guidance. What if we just actually took the original discipleship materials of the church, i.e. the New Testament documents, in our case, we're talking about today, the New Testament letters, and we just read that with them. We created a little reading plan and said, you read the, these um, verses, you know, three or four days a week. Then we got together and we just talked about it and helped them think it through and helped them think through how it would apply to their life. And now they're reading scripture in relationship with somebody else. Oh, how transformative that could be for everybody, for the, the new believer, for the more mature believer. Everyone's going to be learning and growing together as we're reading scripture together. So why don't we just do that? Why don't we use the letters the way they were meant to be used as the discipleship materials of the early church? Let's use them for our own spiritual growth and personal growth. Let's use them to help somebody else grow in their faith as well. And as we do that, we'll all um, become a little bit more like Jesus. We'll all be better disciples of Jesus. We'll actually abide in Jesus' words. And we'll really be his disciples. And we'll know the truth. And the truth will set us free. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Bible in Life. I pray that it was helpful to you and that you will walk with Jesus more faithfully and more fully because you've listened to this teaching. Thanks again to all of you who are part of the Bible and Life family. Thanks to you who share the, this ministry with others on your social media, by email, word of mouth. Thanks to you who donate support this ministry so much. God bless you guys. I look forward to talking to you again next week.